We've made it. It's the last episode of 2022. What a year. And today we're going to have some fun and look back on just some of the cultural moments that we couldn't stop talking about. To use a phrase that I'm hearing the kids say a lot nowadays, 2022 is coming in hot. I'm Gustavo Ariante. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Friday, December 30th, 2022. Today, the highs and lows of Hollywood, music, culture, and so much more. We are stacked for this roundtable. Hitting the movie scene is film business reporter Ryan Fonder. Ryan, welcome to the Times. Hey, Gustavo. Also with us today is Glenn Whip, who covers film and television as well as award season. Hey, Glenn. Gustavo. Love it. And for music, we've got our favorite pop music reporters, Michael Wood and Susie Exposito. Welcome back, the two of you. Good to be here, Gustavo. Thanks. Hey, Gustavo. Thank you all for being here today. So much to talk about. So little time. Culture, of course. Calendar, the second biggest part of the Los Angeles Times. So let's talk a little bit about it. We're going to start with the good, or at least the stories that stuck with all of you in a good way. Ryan, you're up first. What do you got? So the country is divided, you know, Gustavo. So my pick for my favorite thing is something that brought us all together. And because I'm feeling good around the holidays... <laughs> This is just something that made me happy. And I'm talking about the twin box office successes of two movies that could not be more different. And those would be Top Gun Maverick. Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Welcome to basic fighter maneuvers. And everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, now you're here. Stop confusing me coming and going. Stop it, stop it, stop it. get you out of this. Now with Top Gun... This is a movie that just brought people back to the movies who hadn't been in literally years, like older people, younger people, men, women, folks in the middle of the country, Republicans, Democrats, people of all kinds want to see this movie. And it just, it gave us a lot of good moments. It gave us Miles Teller's mustache. It gave us that <laughs> weird intro video of Tom Cruise literally thanking us for coming back to the big screen. I mean, what a great time. And then on the complete opposite end of the film spectrum, we had Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was this kind of weird indie take on the multiverse and kung fu artistry from this filmmaking duo known as Daniels, because they're both named Daniel, um, featuring the story of a Chinese immigrant family, Michelle Yao as oh, the mom. Oh, she's great. Uh, <laughs> she is. And uh, the guy who played Short Round in that Indiana Jones movie coming back in a big way as sort of the sad sack beta male dad. It gave us hot dog finger universe. She appears to be in a universe where everyone has hot dogs instead of fingers. I mean, just wonderful stuff at a time when people were really questioning whether movies were ever going to really matter again. Okay, I am obviously out of it because the last time I was in the movie theaters was to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that was way back in 2019. No, I know, I'm, I'm what busy, are you talking okay? about? What am I missing by not going to the theater? <laughs> Uh, first of all, Gustavo, we're going to have to have a discussion after class, uh, 2019. That's just way too long. Um, I mean, it's one of the things that I miss most uh, during all the COVID-19 shutdowns and restrictions was going to see movies on the big screen. No distractions in the place where they literally might yell at me for picking up my phone. This is what I need in my life. You know, I'm a new dad, so I really treasure the time I have alone with friends that I can really focus on something. And my favorite film going experience of the year was going to see 
Barbarian, which was this totally demented horror movie from Zach Krieger. And it's one of those films that you just you want to see in a theater because if you wait too long, it'll get spoiled on the internet. <laughs> so was it was it Citizen Kane? Hell no. But uh, I had a great time for two hours. We should we should go. We should go together. We, we'll get like an AMC like uh, Stubbs Pass or something. Oh gosh, I remember those. Maybe I'll go back for Avatar Part Two because I like the original Avatar. Michael, what what music story got you happy this year? Got to go with Beyonce, her album Renaissance, and just the sort of whole like vibe around Renaissance. You know, the record, as people, if they've heard it, they know it's sort of a full body immersion into dance music in all of its various stripes. The music's about pleasure and desire and satisfaction. But Beyonce sort of also makes it about history in this kind of beautiful way, specifically Black and queer history and about some of the pioneers of dance music and their stories that maybe have been marginalized in the overall sort of arc of musical history. And the sort of beautiful thing about Beyonce is that she's showing the work. I mean, this is an album where the liner notes, literally the liner notes were a thrill to read. You're going through and you're seeing she's naming everything. She's naming all of the references. She's naming where she's pulling from. She's sort of nodding in this explicit way to all the music that she's building on, whether it's Robin S. and her song Show Me Love, which kind of forms the basis of her big song Break My Soul, or Donna Summer, or Grace Jones, some of the great ballroom performers, the band Chic, you know, the song Cuff It, which is one of the highlights on Renaissance. You've got Nile Rodgers from Chic on guitar. You've got Raphael Sadiq on bass. You've got Sheila E. on percussion. Like an incredible, just like dream team of like funk and soul and R&B OGs kind of backing up Beyonce. People might remember too that she did this like remix of Break My Soul that was kind of a mashup with Madonna's Vogue. But instead of like shouting out women of old Hollywood, Beyonce kind of like outlines this pantheon of black women who've been so pivotal in the history of music. It's just so funny and so joyful and so amazingly sequenced, like just some gorgeous transitions on Renaissance. And, you know, it also, like, it wasn't the only album to sort of like function as like a deep dive into musical history this year. Rosalia's album, Motomami, was also steeped in history. Tons of proper nouns. She's sort of naming her predecessors. And Bad Bunny, his record, Un Verano Sinti. You know, Susie and I saw Bad Bunny at SoFi a couple of months ago, and there was this moment where he brought out Evie Queen, the kind of reggaeton pioneer. Yeah. And it was just so beautiful to like see this like continuum of musical history on stage. What about some smaller releases that you like? You know, the old indie songs. There's a woman named Angel Olsen who's kind of a country soul-ish singer. She put out this great record that's about coming out to her parents. And then shortly after that, they both died, which is obviously like kind of just an amazing amount of personal sort of 
you know, uh, event. It's just full of event. And yet the way she kind of like ponders these life changes, incredible record, really, really beautiful. Cool. Susie, what about your happy 2022 music story? I mean, this is probably cliche at this point because he's everywhere, but Bad Bunny was phenomenal this year. He did a phenomenal job this year. Every Bad Bunny record, it's like a love letter to Puerto Rico, right? His latest record, Un Verano Sin Ti, it's like a love letter to Caribbean island people at large. You know, in songs like Titi Me Pregunto, which is a really hilarious dembo about the meddlesome aunties of the family. Hey, Titi Me Pregunto Si Tengo Mucha Novia and Después de la Playa, which crescendos into this merengue bonanza. Mm. We get this totally buck wild tour of the Caribbean, you know, from Puerto Rico to the Dominican Republic, which Bad Bunny credits as a major inspiration for this album. And then we cruise over to Colombia in the song Ojitos Lindos. His collaboration with Bomba Stereo. It's like a really rich <laughs> tapestry of sound. And in lieu of a, of a normal music video for the song El Apagón, which means the blackout in Spanish, Bad Bunny took the opportunity to work with a journalist. Her name is Bianca Graulao to create a documentary outlining the aggressive privatization of Puerto Rico's resources, their public utilities, the buying of land by rich outsiders, and all the debts imposed by the United States. All of these things are threatening Puerto Rico's demise by capitalism. Pero la vida aquí no es igual para todos. Están quienes llegan con ventajas y beneficios. And that's the point that Bad Bunny wants to make. And I, I think he would agree that it's a, you know, a la pagón. It was kind of a call to solidarity between a lot of island people, you know, who are fighting the residual effects of colonization. This is also happening to other islands. Like think about Hawaii, think about Guam. And so a la pagón, it's it's such a powerful statement, but it's also a sick club track. Like, <laughs> it's such a good dance song, period. Susie, you're going to think I'm so basic, but my only knowledge of Bad Bunny is the Cheetos commercial and when he came out on Saturday Night Live. That's how basic <laughs> oh I am. <laughs> so you're saying listen, I should listen to Bad Bunny. You need to get into it, Gustavo. Where have you been? <laughs> I'm still in the world of Pedro Infante and Hector Lavoe. So at least it's still good music, you know. <laughs> what about you, Glenn? What 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 was awesome for you in 2022? Man, I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around that you haven't been to a movie since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, don't you want to Thank you, Glenn. Don't you want to like replicate that feeling, that communal feeling? that went up in that theater when Leonardo DiCaprio took the flamethrower and toasted the hippies? I mean, don't you want to feel <laughs> that again? I do. I do. I yeah. will. Okay, that's okay. going to be my New Year's okay. resolution 2023, but we're getting a little bit. Our work ourselves. is done then. <laughs> my moment, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm inspired by the presence of my music colleagues here, 
But I, I went with the music story too. I went with Joni Mitchell's stunning surprise yeah. return to the stage. Rose and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air I mean, performing for the first time since her 2015 brain aneurysm. You know, the last couple of years, I am looking for stories. I'm craving stories of resilience. And seeing her perform, she had to kind of rediscover her voice. She had to relearn how to play the guitar. And she's up on stage, and it's just this legend again. And we had no idea it was coming. And that was just such a balm to my soul. And maybe you saw Coda. Maybe you didn't. Movie that won Best Picture this year. No, uh, it, I didn't. It used Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now just as this like song that's going to reduce people to tears. And it, and it just destroyed people in the movie. Moons and dunes and Ferris wheels The dizzy dancing way you feel as She performed that on the stage and in this 2022 version... It's just this transformed into a song about the serendipities that come with just being a survivor. And they rain and they snow on everyone. Being 78 years old on this planet, still on stage, still performing. And she's singing, something's lost, but something's gained in living every day. And I listened to that. Must have been a hundred times and just amen, Joni. Amen. No, Joni is absolute legend status. So great to see her back. Coming up after the break, our not-so-favorite moments of the year. All right, now let's share our picks for the least favorite stories of the year. Susie, let's start with you this time. What what did you just not like about 2023? What story? Listen, the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial was the most radioactive story in entertainment this year. I, um, I st- struggle to have the words. I struggle to find the words to describe how uh, painful this is. To try and sum it up briefly, Johnny Depp successfully sued his ex-wife, Amber Heard, for more than $10 million in a defamation case. After in 2018, she wrote a personal essay in the Washington Post attesting to her experience after coming forward as a survivor of domestic violence. The title of the story was, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath that has to change. The story did not once mention Depp by name, but this summer, a jury determined that three statements from the op-ed were false and made with malice against Depp. So without like trying to relitigate what might have happened between them, without trying to decide who's really the liar and who's the perfect angel baby, I feel like this was a really dark moment for survivors of domestic and sexual abuse who logged onto the internet or went to work or went to school only to be subjected to a litany of ugly, bad faith assumptions and regressive attitudes about abuse, using Amber Heard as an avatar for their hatred. Now, there was an anti-violence movement long before the Me Too movement was a thing, long before Amber Heard was even 
born. But I really feel for all the survivors who, if they weren't already intimidated into silence, are now even more scared to come forward about their experiences for fear of the deluge of public shame and mockery. So I, you know, leaving... (laughs) This year, it's like I just think about how it's so important to be extra careful how you talk about domestic abuse, how you talk about survivors, or you know, someone even just saying that they had this kind of experience. If only out of respect for someone close to you who you may not even know has gone through it or is going through it. Yeah, that was a really low moment in American celebrity trials, and that's saying something, sadly. What about you, Glenn? What was a story that you just, you know, you did not like at all? Low moments. Gustavo, you had some pull with people at the times, right? I mean, you with the powers that be. <laughs> no more so than any of us, but sure, go on. Can, can you make some kind of promise that this is going to be the last time I have to talk about Will Smith going up on stage and slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. Can we, can we just put, I'm just going to put that out there right now (laughs) and and really kind of hope. I think that's good advice. I mean, truly unfortunate incident for a hundred reasons. I mean, most obviously just ruining what should have been the best night in his professional life. Maybe the hundredth reason it was unfortunate is that I'm covering the Oscars live. So we're we're doing a live log and we're trying to figure out what just happened on stage because that had to be a bit, right? I mean, there's no way that wasn't a bit. And then we hear from reporters in the room, no, no, definitely not a bit, you know? And then, I mean, we're wondering why hasn't he been escorted from the theater? And then mostly you spend the next hour Wondering, well, what's he going to say when he wins the Oscar as everyone was expecting to happen? So you spent the next hour wondering about that. And meanwhile, everything that was happening at the Oscars, everyone else's big moments, do we remember any of them? No, because we were waiting for Will Smith to take the stage and see how could he possibly explain what he just did an hour before. Um Chris Rock was amazing on stage. I, I, the presence he had, and he kind of said, well, you know, that was the greatest night in the history of television. That's kind of how he ended this bit there. And I mean, it kind of was, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, Chris Rock, one of my favorite comedians of all time. And I remember seeing that. I'm like, there was all these conspiracy theories. Like, did he lean into it? Was it actually a bit? And then when you realize it's not a bit, and of course now Will Smith is going on his apology tour. He is. And and I, I wish he had done that before kind of going out and promoting a movie about slavery. He should have made the apology six months before this and then just gone out and promoted the film and had a substantial conversation about the themes of the film rather than kind of tying the whole thing together. Yeah. Michael, what in music in 2022 was your least favorite story? Well, if you thought you were sick of hearing about the slap, (laughs) how about Kanye? The thing about it, me and Adidas, is like, I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. I mean, just to watch, to bear terrible witness to his descent, you know, from yeah. a guy with some pretty wild views to just a full-on 
hate monger, just as grim as it gets. And it's so manifold in its grimness, right? There's like the idea that maybe he's being used, this sort of useful idiot thing, being used by even more nefarious figures, the sort of queasy bromance with Elon Musk and this obsession with free speech and the non-existent threats to it. He's obsessed with the idea that he's not allowed to say what he wants. And yet he's just saying so much all the time. And we, of course, can't stop listening to it, which just makes it doubly depressing because of kind of what it says about our inability to resist giving more oxygen to him and his ideas, our inadequacy in talking about mental health and how that intersects with celebrity. You know, when he was on Alex Jones's InfoWars show a couple of um, weeks ago. That alone, Kanye and Alex Jones, that alone. The fact that we're even saying that phrase, yeah. And then you're watching him and like Alex Jones every five, 10 minutes is like, he's emphasizing the fact that how many people are watching the show, right? It's like, this is the most popular show in the world right now. So like in an attention economy, like the attention of course is an end unto itself, but at whatever cost, at whatever collateral damage to to other people. It's just really, really grim. Yeah, especially people who loved his music in the past. You're just looking and thinking, it's just so sad, sad. And you're disgusted, but yet you can't turn away. Ryan, what about you? What were the stories that you didn't like in 2022? Yeah, so I feel like we're all just kind of going through grievances about stories that we've had to cover (laughs) ad nauseum. And so uh, here's mine. The uh, cultural war earlier this year between the Walt Disney Company and the state of Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, over the so-called don't say gay law just bummed me out. Just to remind everyone, Disney's then CEO, Bob Chapek, didn't want to speak out about this bill, which was you know, pretty explicitly meant to limit discussion of gay and trans issues in Florida schools. Uh, Disney employees were upset, clearly, because they saw it as a homophobic attack. Chapek ended up apologizing to staff after some protests. He said the company's goal was, in fact, to have the law repealed after all this stuff took place. And then that kicked off even more chaos. The right started calling Disney's employees groomers. They started accusing Disney of trying to sexualize children. And so it was all just a little depressing and infuriating because it felt like everything had reverted back to the left-right culture battles of the 1990s over gay rights when Disney was taking heat over Ellen DeGeneres and gay days at the parks and all of that. So it really felt like a... uh, a blast from the past and in the worst way. Yeah, Disney's at the center of both my favorite story of the year and then my least favorite, which is Latinos in Hollywood. So I haven't been in the theaters, but I am somewhat caught up on, uh, you know, cool things. So I saw Andor uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday and it was amazing. It was, And I'm not even a Star Wars person. I thought the last trilogy was trash, but Andor was so awesome. And you had Diego Luna playing the hero, the anti-hero. Unapologetically, he had his, you know, his Mexican accent. He did it. And, you know, he's not the only Latino being a superhero. The Mandalorian, the guy who saved Grogu. Of course, Pedro Pascal, he's Chilean-American. You have Rosario Dawson coming in. She's going to have her own series. So we have all these Latinos in heroic roles like never before. But it's all in the fantasy world. Meanwhile, 
Hollywood keeps canceling shows with real life Latinos like Gordita Chronicles, like Gentified Vida. So it's like it's very bittersweet for me. Uh, 2022. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. And there has been this sort of turn in the streaming business and in and TV where these companies are facing recession, uh, slowdown in advertising. Uh, Wall Street has totally turned on the streaming business as like its favorite way to make money. It's a stock market pump and dump scheme du jour. And that has led to a lot of companies pulling back on content and, and productions. And a lot of that is getting felt by uh, initiatives that studios started a couple of years ago to boost their diversity and uh, have more inclusion in front of the camera and behind it. And a lot of that is what you're seeing get canceled and, and left on the cutting room floor. And again, it's a bummer. I, I think uh, Susie Bad Bunny needs his own uh, drama. I am here for it. I mean, he's supposed to be in the upcoming Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a Sony Pictures produced Marvel movie about El Muerto, I believe is the name of the superhero who's been in maybe two Marvel comics throughout the history of the franchise. So that'll be interesting. I think Bad Bunny was also in Bullet Train, if I'm not mistaken. Bad Bunny, that's what Hollywood needs overall. I give him a television show as well. And maybe one day I'll listen to his music. More after the break. Before we leave, we got to look ahead to 2023. So one line prediction time. Susie, who's going to win the best album at the Grammys in February? I mean, on that Bad Bunny tip, man, we just cannot get enough of him. I would really love for him to win album of the year. It would be the first Latin album to win since Santana in 2000. But I don't think it's going to happen because honestly, this recording academy is so risk averse. I would say it'll most likely be Adele. Good old you know, Adele. Also, props to props to Beyonce. She put out a fantastic dance record, but I I do believe it'll probably be Adele. Glenn, what film's going to win the Oscar for Best Picture? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Unless the Academy takes a really big swing and goes Avatar The Way of Water or Top Gun Maverick. Oh, my God. The magic of movies. That will get you back in the theater, man. (laughs) Avatar, (laughs) I'm telling you, maybe I'll go to Avatar in 3D. I loved it the first time around. But Ryan, you also cover streamers. So how's the streaming wars going to look next year? Uh, consolidation is going to be in full swing. We're already seeing a little bit of it. You know, there's all these big players that are going to kind of assert their dominance. So your Disney Pluses, your Netflixes, and the rest of them are going to have to decide whether they actually think that this is a good way of making money or they are going to go back to just putting movies in theaters and trying to get you to pay for cable again. And then lastly, but not leastly, Michael, Is 2023 going to be the year that Rihanna finally brings out her album that everyone's anticipating and has been anticipating for, gosh, I don't even know how many years at this point. I think like 27 years. Uh, It's a good (laughs) question. I do not have the answer, but what I can say is that she doesn't release it after having played or before playing the Super Bowl in February, which is the largest promotional opportunity in pop music. 
if she doesn't drop the album after the Super Bowl, then she just may like literally never make another album and just sell, you know, cosmetics and lingerie for the rest of her life. And she's already a multi, multi-millionaire on that. But we're waiting exactly. for you, Rihanna. Please, please, please. And that's it, folks, for your 2022 in culture with a little bit of 2023. Michael, Susie, Glenn, Ryan, thank you so much for all the work that you do. And thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, Essential News from the LA Times. David Toledo was a head on this episode. Hiba Elorbani was the editor and Mike Kaplan mixed and mastered it. Our show's produced by Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, Ashley Brown, and Helen Lee. Our editorial assistants are Roberto Reyes and Nicholas Perez. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Kathleen. Our fellow is Helen Lee. Our editor is Kinsey Morley. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hibel Urbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back after the new year with all the news in this month. See you next year. Gracias. <laughs>